0: new episode of Vyapar, a show where we explore the journeys of entrepreneurs and the businesses that they've built. With me this week is Raina Day, owner of Mark & Brew, a company which helps startups with their branding and marketing needs. And I really like their mission statement, which is you bring us an idea and we will build you a brand. And you know, this is really powerful. And what really stuck me when I first spoke to Rena was that, you know, she knew what her strengths were, you know, very early on, she knew that she was great at building strategies at, you know, building plans and she has capitalized on that really well. And I think that re- that's really important for a- any entrepreneur that's just starting out. You need to know what your strengths are and you need to work on them and then just, you know, keep acquiring new skills along the way. So Rana, welcome to the show and. Tell us what was the idea behind starting Mark and Brew and what are the services that you guys provide?
1: Hi, Sadhad. Firstly, thank you so much for having me on the show. I think this is the first podcast I'm doing ever. I'm more of like a stage person. So um, thank you. And to answer your question, I think the reason why I started Mark & Brew was that I was in, in Spain, in Barcelona specifically, until the end of 2019. And I think for the first time, I realized that consulting, as far as branding was concerned, was not something that only the big shots in the industry were taking help from even very new startups or startups who just received seed funding, et cetera, were also hiring consultants for marketing, for mm. distribution, pricing, etc. So I realized that this thing is missing in India because I think consulting comes as an afterthought, especially when it comes to brand consulting. Mm. And people usually think that, oh, okay, I'm building my company. Of course, I know my story best and people just go ahead and uh, do it themselves. What happens is that, Branding is, of course, you know, you're just not giving a name and a logo to a a company, you're doing much more than that. And if this is an afterthought, then this can come to bite you later on. So I realized that having worked in the media industry in India itself, the entire industry, I think works a lot on guesswork and intuition and experience. Mm-hmm. And very little on branding frameworks and data, research, etc. Mm-hmm. And I personally just cannot do that, you know, because I know that whatever you think about intuitively, research is usually very counterintuitive. And if you do research, then I think your risk of coming up with the wrong brand reduces a lot. And... I just felt like, okay, there's this market gap. I want to take care of it. What should I do? And uh, because I also belong to a business family, I think there was a lot of pressure from home to also start my own thing. And, um, yeah, I think everything just came in together and one day I just decided, no, this is it. I think I love the consulting world because a lot of my kit and keen are in consulting and, uh, mm-hmm. I love storytelling and I'm good at strategy. So I thought, okay, like this is it. The situation is ripe, mm-hmm. And I just started. So I think that's the situation. Yeah.
0: And I really like the way like on your Instagram page, right? You've explained your business model in a very, like how people make coffee. That's how you've explained your business. That that's like, I was just watching it tells you like, you know, the mindset that you guys have, and you know, it's, it's very visually appealing as well. So that's, that's amazing. And also, I agree with you, like people, startups in particular, they, they feel, you know, the founders feel that they are the ones who can tell their stories in the best way. But sometimes, you know, that might not work out. So yeah, and also when we spoke pre-show, right? When we uh, spoke for the first time, you told me that you know marketing agencies don't really charge companies for developing marketing strategies, and my first reaction right. was, does that even make sense? Because you know uh, strategy is such an important part of you know any anything, e- marketing, sales, or anything that you know it's it's so important. So how does that work? Like, uh, and you know you guys are charging for consulting and strategy. So what does that mean for you?
1: Okay, so see, um, I'll tell you something. So although I think I've studied marketing and communications over the last six years, semi professionally and academically, I think I have never really worked in an agency. Okay, mm. simply because that was not something that happened to me, or I just did not want to work in an agency environment. Now, I was quite shocked to actually understand from a lot of agency owners and experts that what happens in agencies is, so if a brand approaches you, and uh, whether it's for branding or a marketing campaign or just for a long-term marketing collaboration, the agency first asks the brand what your budget is, and accordingly, they come up with a strategy. Now, this strategy can take anything between one to two weeks to come up with, and then it is presented to the client, The details are not delved into, but if the client thinks, okay, there's potential, then they go ahead and the payment for agencies mostly comes from this implementation collaboration where they're actually doing work for the client and not just advising the client. Now, I mean, I realize that, okay, this is how it works, but to be honest, research is a lot of uh, billable hours. Research is also money. Because you are going to do a lot of uh, focus group interviews and surveys and you have to give people some kind of reason to do these things, right? In the form of say discounts, etc. Now, if all these things are going to happen, then it is about a lot of time and money. And I can't imagine giving that to somebody for free. I cannot imagine uh, giving my ideas to someone for free, you know, that, that just doesn't work. And that is, I think what consulting firms are about if you want to concentrate a lot on research-based strategy, then you have to go to a consulting firm because then one, two months are taken to do proper in-depth internal and external analysis. And then you know step-by-step procedures that a lot of universities have come up with regarding branding and marketing will then be put to use to come up with the right strategy. After that, what happens is a consulting agency or firm, if asked to, can then carry out the implementation through their in-house team. So this, I think, is the difference. And uh, I really don't know how the agency model works in the sense that how effective the research part is or if yeah. it's mostly intuitive or based on past research. Because, you know, every time you do some research, you also save that data. So maybe that is also something that they work on. But to be honest for me, I personally cannot imagine just giving away my hard made strategies yeah, that, that away for sense. free. Yeah,
0: because, and you yeah. know, I, I, I feel like you just mentioned here, like if they're not charging money for it, you can't even be sure that, you know, they are putting in that level of effort to do the research and all that stuff. So, I mean, if, if you don't put that level of effort in your research and your strategy, then what good is the implementation? So, yeah, I mean... That also, that's, that's also something that companies need to think about. And also apart from consulting, you also give services called like growth hacking. What does that mean?
1: That's correct. So, um, so see, my main strength is brand consulting, definitely, because um, that's, that's the strategy part. That's what I'm good at. But growth hacking, I think it's a five-year-old term. Growth hacking is mm-hmm. basically where you hack the growth graph of a company as far as the user base is concerned. Now, of course, this is not the right thing if you're trying to sell a product, right? Mm-hmm. However, if you think about Dropbox, right? So what Dropbox did is that, they launched at a particular event, which had paid members visiting the event, and only they could avail Dropbox. And everything had to be in on an invitation basis. So there was a waitlist that was created, I think in uh, a couple of weeks or less than that, there was waitlist of 75,000 people wow. who wanted to avail Dropbox's services. Now, This is called growth hacking. Usually a company would have taken six to seven months to get to 75,000, right? No matter how good it is. Mm. But the moment you growth hack, your user base increases a lot. Now that is very important because say if it's a LinkedIn or a Dropbox, then they only get their revenue from small percentage of the total users. So, I mean, I don't pay for a premium membership on LinkedIn. Right uh, or or I don't pay for Dropbox because I don't need that amount of space, so very few people actually pay mm-hmm. to use LinkedIn or Dropbox, and all the revenue must come from these people. so in that case, the larger your user base, the higher your chances of getting a paid customer. Now this thing of course makes more sense for soft tech companies and knowing that today the entire startup ecosystem is like mostly made of soft tech startups it makes a lot of sense to help them out with uh, marketing initiatives that will help expedite the expansion of the user base
0: Mm, that's that's true because nowadays it's more about you know just getting reaching a milestone of users and and I feel like I could be wrong here, but sometimes I feel just growing that user base without, you know, uh, being profitable. Then like, if you see Uber, right, it has, mm-hmm. we know that the user base is, has grown exponentially, but it's still not making any money. So that's also something that, you know, I'm curious about, like what these companies, even with all the user base that they have, they still can't make money. So I don't know.
1: I mean, that's, right. So, so see, I mean, I think, it depends a lot on the kind of business model and whether growth hacking will work for it or not. It definitely works for soft tech, but like I said, mm. Uber has a lot to do with the physical world also. And, uh, I mean, Amazon did wait for 24 years before it went into profits, right? Yeah. So I think in that way, it, it depends from business to business. Growth hacking is definitely not for everybody, but, uh, it is definitely here to stay.
0: All right. All right. And just taking a segue here, I, on one of your instagram mm-hmm. posts you described your takeaways of being an entrepreneur and you know you mm-hmm. mentioned that you know having a business parent is greater than attending a business school so you know how has your family right. how has your family helped you develop the right mindset
1: so i am a second generation business person and my father is in the construction industry that's not an industry that i wanted to be a part of so of course i started from scratch in consulting but to be honest I have been to business school and I, in comparison, what I can tell you is that business school was okay. One year of uh, very intensive education, learned a lot of frameworks, et cetera. But like anybody and everybody knows until you actually put things to use, it's as good as you did not really, you know, uh, go to business school, unless you put your knowledge to use. Now, the difference between business school and a business parent is what I can tell you is that when you have a a business parent, especially one who likes to come home and discuss what he is doing in life, (laughs) right, to earn that money. So I know a lot of parents who don't like to discuss it. I know friends who don't know what their uh, parents designations are at uh, their services. But uh, I mean, i had a father who was who would always come home and tell us that okay this is the current rate of brick prices and um, this is what i did to sign this uh, client or this is exactly how i spoke with this officer to get xyz done right so mm-hmm. these things that he told me and that i remember since i was 4 years old i think over the last two decades like home was B school, you know, and dinner was where all the lessons were learned. So yeah, I think passively, of course, then I did not realize all this, right. And a lot of times, if you know, dad needed me to write a letter to the governor or something, okay, I was sitting and writing it out for him. Or if he needed something checked, I was doing it for him. So these small things that I learned, this action that was made, right, or this, Mm -hmm. like impromptu conversations that happened at the dinner table, and the fact that we were allowed to comment on whatever he did, or if he thought, you know, it was stupid or smart or whatever. I think that helped a lot with us thinking like business people. So I think it's, it's very, very advantageous if somebody is a second generation business person.
0: Wow. That's really amazing. I mean, because (laughs) I know, because you told me that you were, you, there was an expectation from you to start a business when you were 13 and like, there are not many kids out there who have the same, you know, people don't expect that. Like when you're 13 or 14, people are ex- expecting you to go to school and just, you know, get a good job <laughs> or something like that. But I mean, that's really impressive. Honestly, that's
1: awesome. Thank, you.
0: And, Thank on, you. and on the same post, you also said that, you know, there's a difference between a founder and a co-founder. And I was just scratching my head because all this time, I used to think that, you know, these are just the same kind of people like there's not much difference between a founder and a co-founder right. so, so what's the difference
1: I think the difference is like that of a single parent versus two parents raising a child You know, it's just that it's, it's just that, to be honest, because on one hand, if you're a founder, then you build the company by yourself. The decision-making is completely on you. If you go wrong, you go wrong. And that can of course be a lot of pressure. If it's about say, okay, even if we keep the financials apart, which again is obviously easier if there are two or three people involved in a business, Mm -hmm. but okay, like, Assume that it's not a problem. Then also there are other things, for example, networking, right? So my network will be restricted to say 500 people, right? But if I have two, three founders working together, then of course that becomes 1500 people, chances of your business growing then becomes higher. And, Mm -hmm. but then uh, there are also other things like, okay, if I want to shut Mark and Groot tomorrow, I can do that and not be answerable to anybody. But the moment I am working with somebody else, I have made a commitment. (laughs) There's also some kind of personal relationship. Then again, you can't really get out of it. And then I think there's the whole point of product quality, you know, because uh, at least in the service industry, so what my product quality will be is completely dependent on me. But the moment there's two, three other people working with me uh, with the same decision-making skill, maybe it'll be better. Like, of course, it depends sometimes. And something that I have learned from personal experience is that you shouldn't go out and look for a co-founder because you are very scared of taking the entire burden of making the decision by yourself. Hmm. or go and look for a founder in a friend because we are great friends. I'm sure we can also do it like that. I think a partner's or a co-founder's job is to make your work easier, to make your decision-making easier, to help you out. And to be honest, a lot of times, if, exactly like everything is not aligned as far as what your five-year plan is or what your expectations from life is, what your financial capacity of investment is, then I think it's much better to start off by yourself because... I completely believe that like in a world where you can be anything, be brave. And I think that's yeah. why I went ahead. And even though I'm not, you know, I'm not very old, I think mm-hmm. I went ahead and started the company by myself. I wouldn't have, if I had found the right partner and I'm sure I'll have somebody like join me if tomorrow I find someone who is, you know, as dedicated as me toward mm. the company, but until then I think I'll be doing it myself.
0: That's, that's great. And yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, uh, just getting a co founder for the sake of it might not work out. And you know, I think it's also the co founder has to have the same level of vision as the founder or else, you know, it just might not go at the scale that you wanted to
1: definitely.
0: So one really uh, interesting question about the marketing industry to you, if you could change one thing, like, you know, just one thing about the Indian marketing industry, what would it be?
1: Um, (laughs) Wow. If my friends listen to this, I'm going to get a hard time, but see, to be honest, I think the marketing industry or the media industry really needs to stop taking itself as seriously as it does. I mean, right after I graduated, I remember a lot of my friends were coming back home crying. A lot of them were visiting counseling sessions. Yes. I remember a friend once told me that she was working 12 hours a day and her manager was disappointed in her because everybody else was putting in 16 hours a day. And (laughs) to be honest, I mean, all this, like the only inference I got out of this entire thing is that there's... Some very, very important, like there's a very dire need for good management skills in the marketing industry in India, then. Because, I mean, if we talk about some of the international agencies, and if I see my friends in Europe working with these same agencies, they do the normal eight hour job per day, go back home, have a life. I mean, if they can do it, then we can do it. And there's no need to work 16 hours for an industry which is quite famous for not even paying the right amount of salary to its uh, employees. So I really think overall, like the only thing I want to change is like how seriously the industry takes itself, how, and everything that comes with it, the long work hours, Mm -hmm. these huge expectations, the requirement of junior executives to be available at the beck and call of seniors or clients, even at 3am in the morning. I think Are these things really should, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think these things really need to be taken care of. And I think that's why when I started Mark and Drew, I, I tell people who worked with me every single week that guys, you are supposed to be working these many hours in a month. If you ever see that I am making you work more than that, or, you know, because obviously like I am the owner, right? So I am working as, as many hours as I'm awake because I'm trying to do as much business development as I can, etc. And I text people whenever, but I'm like, you don't have to reply if I text you after 9 PM and you don't have to, you don't have to work beyond wow. the number of hours I'm paying you for. You're a, you're a really <laughs> I mean, I hope I can stay like this five years down the line when things get more commercial and and it's not absolutely just fueled by passion. But I, I honestly believe that if there's a reason why I did not join an agency at a particular age in my life, or the reason why I started my own things so that I can correct some wrongs happening in the rest of the industry, then I really cannot become one of the devils. So I'm just trying to stick to my own lane for now.
0: That's great. I mean, you know, for people who are listening to this and you know, who are, who have people working under them, I think you can learn a lot from Raina here because we all need bosses like this. And this is not, I'll tell you what, this is not something that's happening only in the marketing industry. It's all over India. So the working culture and, and the hours, right? It's, it's brutal, honestly. It's, it's everywhere. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. people need to understand that, you know, uh, they, they also have a personal life. So yeah, let's, I, I'm not very optimistic about,
1: Definitely. I'm not
0: very optimistic that, you know, this <laughs> we'll is, see. yeah, but I hope so like this, you, you are starting, like you are doing the right thing here and uh, kudos to you. So, okay. So my, my Thank last, you. my last question to you is, so, you know, you've, you've started out w- with a brand consulting firm and, you know, you also giving growth hacking and all these sorts of services, but five years or even, you know, 10 years down the line, what, what do you see? Like, what is your vision for Market Brew?
1: So, okay. See, I'm a data-driven storyteller, right? Because that is what branding is. But as much as I love branding, I also love the consulting ecosystem a lot. I really feel like there's a lot of value there. And that is why companies like APMG McKinsey are doing so well. And um, I really, okay, why I started with a brand consulting firm is because branding, I knew I was good at. Branding, I knew I had studied enough and gained enough experience in that I would happily be able to give my clients the kind of service that they deserve for the amount of money they're paying. Now, down the line, when I do have the financial capacity uh, to expand, Instead of expanding um, vertically or in the form of like, let's start another office in Bangalore and then in Bombay and then in Dubai and then in Singapore, I think what I want to do is I want to expand horizontally and also look into other kinds of consulting where I'll be able to, you know, onboard people from the industry who know as much about other sorts of consulting, like say, whether it's risk compliance or trade marketing Mm. or financial consulting, et cetera, as I am at branding. And maybe then we can form a good team and sort of expand Mark and Drew into a full-fledged business consulting firm and not just restricted to a brand consulting. But of course, I mean, it's just been a few months of Mark and Drew. So this is thinking... Too ahead of myself, but if at all possible, this is what I'll do.
0: That's great, and uh, you know, McKinsey and you know all the other consulting firms out there. Be aware, you know, Mark and Brew is coming after your business, so you <laughs> ready, ready in ready, a few go, years. In a few years, yeah. So, uh, Rana, it was a pleasure having you on the show. You know, I I know very little about marketing and branding, but you know, speaking with you, I I feel that you know I know a little bit more about the industry. And I wish you all the best for Mark and Brew. And I hope whenever we connect back again, you know, you have achieved that vision that you've set for yourself.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great because I think now we've come to the end of my first ever podcast ever. And I'm just so happy that I've I've done this. So thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thanks a lot. Thank you. And all right, guys, that does it for today's edition of Vyapar. If you're a startup looking for a great marketing strategy or, you know, you know, you want to build a brand, check out Mark & Brew. It's an amazing company. Their Insta page is just awesome. And I'll drop the links in the description. Do check it out. And do let us know what you think of the show. All right. Because we do this for the listeners. We do it for you. And, you know, we want to make make it a very good listening experience. So you can reach out to us at viparpodcast at gmail.com. Take care and we'll see you next week.